Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we are with comic Sarah Tolamash. Sarah Tolamash, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. I just kind of woke up. <laughs> yes, this is, this is pretty pretty early for comedians, especially professional ones of your caliber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a you have a. Well, I'm getting up earlier. Oh, good. And so, what's the what's the reason for that? Are you trying to be productive in the mornings now? Well, you know, with pandemic and us comics not having to perform late all the time, um, oh. my schedule has gotten to a more regular like earlier wake up call. So, I mean, I used to wake up at 10 or 10.30 and now it's like 9 or 9.30. Wow. Is this going to be uh, conducive to your uh, resuming comedy pretty soon? Um, I'll probably slip back into old habits. But <laughs> <laughs> I love sleeping in. I don't know what it is, but I love it. Yeah, I'm getting there. Like I used to, I, I was, I was on a huge drinking kick, and that made it easier to get up because I think your sleep is shallower, and so yeah. you kind of, you kind of bounce out of bed. But now that I'm not drinking, I think I've been sober for for about a month. Like it's just fucking impossible to get up on time. Like I'm sleeping through alarms because the sleep is so deep, and I'm probably catching up a little bit. Yeah, I just get jealous of people that have anxiety in the morning that gets them up. I'm like, I wish my anxiety <laughs> hit that early. Mine's at night. And then I, I was listening to your album, Voluptuous Boy, and I think you mentioned depression, and so I'll have to get into anxiety and depression as time permits. But um, as a voluptuous boy myself, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for not <laughs> calling us fat in your album title. Of course, I'd like to, you know, be kind. <laughs> the nicest way I could think of calling somebody fat. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think there was, uh, I had, uh, what's it called, uh, the function on Spotify that will skip tracks, like random. I randomized or something, and I was like, this album is done. What the fuck? I haven't even learned what Voluptuous Boy is. And I was like, what, man, it's been jumping around on your oh, album. Oh, weird. Yeah. So it's like a Spotify was so easy to find you. But, you know, if you have that uh, randomizing function, I forgot what the fuck it's called, Rant, random or something. But, yeah, so the so the album itself is fucking amazing. I loved it. Um, you are you go dark. You go pretty fantastic. And uh, was it during the quarantine? Because I, I think I... Your God bit, you know, God being a procrastinator and things like that was so fucking funny and so almost believable given all the shit that's happened. And I think once or twice you mentioned coronavirus on there. Was this early in the coronavirus that you taped this uh, album? Yeah, it was right. I feel like I got my album right under the buzzer. I recorded on March 8th at New York Comedy Club. And I think uh -huh. I, I kind of, uh, you know went into quarantine i think that friday but then i think everything publicly shut down on the 13th on the 14th or the 15th like on the sunday or something yeah or that following monday or whatever and then so there was no more stand-up so I, that was kind of my last set um for the year at that time wow but you kind of knew it was coming enough to mention this whole coronavirus thing there's a flu going around at one point you said <laughs> yeah well I had one or two people write on my Facebook wall saying that they were going to try to sell my tickets because they didn't want to come in because at that time there were already uh, cases being reported. And I kind of was like still at that moment. It felt like it was a day-to-day -day thing at that time. Uh, was like, okay, 
Well, I still think it's fine to come in. And then now in <laughs> hindsight, I'm just like, we probably should have shut down two weeks prior to then when I, I did my yeah. album. Putting people in danger, the super spreader parties. I think there's been other comics too who have had shows on the bubble there. And uh, I thought one of them was... Was it Janelle Draper? I think she does something with her sister, who's a health expert. Like they're both in the show, and um, and they said something like, uh, you know, oh, let's have it anyway. Even the health expert was like, oh, it's fine. And so these things turn out to probably be to be super spreaders in the comedy community. Yeah, that's what I guess you would consider some of <laughs> some of these comics that were are touring a lot. Like I'm only doing this is my first indoor gig that I'm doing this weekend. And I think after this, I think I'm going to just go back to doing outdoor shows. Not that I I felt at risk at um, last night, but I just feel like it's just safer to do outdoor shows just to be on the safe side. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's super airborne. And one of the examples they use is the fact that there's a choir practice in Minnesota or some shit. And like all 68 people got sick and the person yeah. who had, had it didn't get anywhere close to anybody. I think they were all wearing masks. Nobody touched. There was social distancing. But because they were all, you know, expelling with, you know, breathing in and singing out loud, like everybody got it. And I think that's probably the same thing as a comedy club when they go to a Sarah Tolomash show because they're going to be laughing. They're going to be laughing, I think. <laughs> it's not like an yeah. open mic where nobody's paying attention or laughing, right? Well, I this one, like uh, it was pretty social. They were at 35% occupancy and it wasn't, I think people are still kind of hesitant to go do indoor shows. Yeah. I don't know. But then you hear about all these like, I don't know, secret parties and bars and I'm like, that's so crazy. (laughs) What are we doing? Yeah. And, And you're like, well, maybe I can wait for the vaccine. And now you're hearing things like vaccine, even when it's available, won't be that effective or something. And so it really would be great if they, you know, partition Central Park into numerous comedy clubs as they seem to be doing now, you know, enter at 62nd Street or enter at seven, you know, 80th Street West. Yeah. Or whatever. But, um, you know, if you're touring the country and it sounds like you are, not everybody has that built in advantage that we have. Um, but one of the things like I like the I, I kind of wanted to ask a comedian of your caliber how you choose what ends up in an album. And my example is the Enigma example, because I think I'm roughly your age. And Mm -hmm. um, when I heard that, I was just delighted. I was so fucking happy that I got the (laughs) reference, that it's a reference that I love. I I actually had to pause your special and go listen to Enigma Sadness Part One or whatever it is, Sadness on YouTube. And then I resumed. Um, Now, I'm not really a comic, but if I were like you know, I'd want to choose things that delight me, but then I'd be disappointed if people in the audience didn't get the reference. At what point do you, are you like, I want something super relatable, like a lot of the other stuff in your album. And sometimes you're like, dude, I don't give a shit if they fucking know it. It'll be funny to everybody. And even if they don't laugh as hard as they would, if they got the reference, I fucking love it. Yeah. I, that one, I, at least I had been trying, I had trying that one for a long time. And so I was trying different songs, but that was the only song that I could think of um, that is extremely weird and awkward Yeah. to do. Because that one, that song I always, it started off as not a bit about that. It was more about like a weird song to make people uncomfortable when you, <laughs> if you karaoke, karaoke uh... to it. Because that, that one's just like, what, that song's so weird. But um I was also thinking there were times where I would have to go to Best Buy. I remember I wanted a Bjork song and the guy was like, you know how that goes. 
Good and luck. I was like, I don't, I can't believe you're like, I have to feel like I'm singing and I don't have a great voice. And it was such an embarrassing moment that I was trying uh, to think of what's the most embarrassing song to have yeah. to uh, find out what you want. And Enigma was one of them. Yeah. And once or the you, band. Yeah. Once you explain that there's an orgasm, you know, there's kind of a, a second heavy. <laughs> yeah. A second track in there. That's kind of orgasmic. Everybody will fire it up even if they haven't already. Yeah, and there were enough people to know, and there was a time period where we went through some new agey stuff, I think at our age group, like, I remember that, remember the soundtrack, The Beach, that had a lot of <laughs> crazy, fun, new age dance trip stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that, but I mean, everything else on your thing was so fucking relatable, like, you know, it, being, you know, having to sing something to the record store guy, like I actually worked at a record store and I had people calling me up being like, do you have any bone? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then after 10 of those calls, I realized that they were asking for bone thugs and harmony. So after uh, the 10th ten, ten time somebody asks or does an enigma orgasm, the guy on the other side is already being like, yeah, we don't have it. We have it on CD single. We don't have it on CD. No, the, the rest of the album is not like that, blah, blah, blah. And so we kind of learn the spiel, even if we don't get it the first time around. But I mean, yeah. all your stuff, like living in New York, like the whole landlord bit, like, you know, although, you know, the fire alarm in the studio apartment might be, you know, a little bit New York because we don't have a lot of space or we're kind of urban, you know, calling up your landlord to do anything and the kind of words that are coming out of their mouth and their approach to this situation is just so fucking relatable. And um, it's cool that you got there first on the whole, whole landlord bit. Was that born of any experience that you had? Yeah, I remember I had this one landlord and he, I always just felt he crossed a lot of boundaries. Like one time I, I woke up to him in my living room <sighs> yelling my name to pay rent. And it oh was God. only like a, two days past when it was due on the first. In fact, he uh -huh. liked it when it was before the first. And I was like, that's insane that you can't do that. Um, but then if he would come over and fix things and he, a lot of, if you live in New York, there's some crazy workmanship. Like I go on TikTok all the time and they're like, this is what it's like to live in New York. And it's like doors that can't open all the way because it just hits the <laughs> wall <laughs> or they put, they put it on the wrong, the hinge on the wrong side <laughs> or like you can't fully open your refrigerator door. Cause it, it, there's not enough space in the, um, in the kitchen yeah. or, uh, I remember this girl was, this um, my roommate's girlfriend was staying with us, and she'd be like, "Yeah, whenever I take a shower, I, it, I don't think your drain is pro properly draining because I'm standing in about a foot of water." I'm like, "Yeah, that's just the, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Like you have to accept it. It's like camping." But he wouldn't <laughs> fix anything. He would just kind of like insult you as if you were the one that was causing all the damage or yes. insinuating that you were up to no good in the apartment. And then yeah. you're just like, no, this is just horrible craftsmanship that you, that you have in the apartment. And I can't believe that you're accusing me of like, you know, slamming the door really hard all the time. Oh yeah. And, and sometimes they're almost even setting it up. Like I had a roommate who was like, who's got the Kung Fu grip on this water, on this fucking, yeah. you know, the, the water thing. He's like, well, that's going to make it leak, blah, blah, blah. It's almost like he was setting up the excuse for not fixing a leak. But, um, but yeah, that was super, super fucking hilarious. And I think, um, 
One other thing that was kind of New York based that I loved is the crying outside thing. And I think Mulaney did it in that recent uh, sack lunch bunch thing where they actually had a, a kid singing to the white woman crying in New York City, which I loved. I was I was really taken by the fact that I saw I saw it once and I thought she was, you know, younger, younger woman in workout clothes and she was crying. And I think I saw her again several days later still crying. What the fuck is it? Is it? I mean, first of all, why are people crying? But second of all, is it just because they don't have any privacy with roommates that everything has to be done outdoors, even something as embarrassing as crying? Or is it not embarrassing? Like, why was she crying in the first place? Why are these white women crying in New York City? I don't know, but it happens all the time. Um, it's, I think it's because once we leave our apartments, we are gone for 16 hours of the day. So we're, you know, I feel like I'm carrying a backpack with everything in it. Yeah. So you don't have a time to rest or like take in. And then New York's just hard. Like, you know, you're trying to get to your job that doesn't pay anything. And then uh, the train service is about that day decides to not run. There are times where I, I it would take me two hours to get to work and doing, wow. I would have to do, I call it train math where I have to figure out what other transfers I can do. <laughs> Um, it's just grueling. So there's a lot of uh, like moments that crush you and it feels like it's symbolic and it's personal attacks to you. <laughs> so I, I get, I get it, but I don't, I, I don't think I've ever cried in public just yet. I've managed to hold it in okay. before, but usually like most people have their cars to cry in or have that moment, but yeah. yeah. Well, I do like There's, that you're, you're saying that the attacks almost become personal at some point, and that's why these people are crying. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you feel like when you miss the train, it's this is why you haven't succeeded in other areas of your <laughs> life and that you can't get your shit together. And I think yes. it hits you harder maybe in New York than it does in other cities. But I love the train math, too, because you can't just sit there and turn your brain off when a train is broke. You have to think all right, should I get off and go take the the FEG or some shit and take that somewhere I've never been? And and you're using the, your phone, I suppose, at that point. At one time, I didn't have a, have a smartphone. And for that woman on the street, maybe it's, you know, I think she was in workout gear, so it could have been, you know, fuck, you know, I, uh, you know, this train made me late, so now I'm not going to be able to work out, so now I'm not going to get the date or whatever, and that's, that's why this date broke up with me, because I never have time or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, because she didn't look too frazzled, but I suppose it could have just been just all adding up and, and the fact that, you know, she didn't feel like she was getting where, anywhere, especially if you have the side hustle. Like everybody came here for something. And if you're sitting on the train doing train math, you're not busy doing that thing. Oh, exactly. And then a lot of times I think it's because of uh, phones. So I always call our phone our like just our bad news machine <laughs> because. Because it used to be where if you got bad news, you would get it left on a voicemail at your house or apartment. And then by the time you got home from work, that's when you listen to it. Yeah. But we could just be having the time of our life with our friends and look over, get a text about something that would just crush you or a phone call out of nowhere. And it just it changes the mood of your day. And I think <sighs> that's also another big point, part of like maybe why we cry outside now. I love that. I have to answer this. It's my bad news machine. It is. It's so sometimes I'm like, man, I was having a really great moment. And now I just saw this thing and it's like crushing. It's making me feel like shit right now. We'll have to bring the, the answering machine back. I think Sarah Tolomash is such a so, social influencer or, or de-influencer, as she says. Yeah. <laughs> and so she can de-influence the use of phones and influence the use of answering machines. And one thing, like, I, I noticed, like, the Netflix thing that I, I had a question about, you know, some of us go home and then we zone out with Netflix. 
you had a you had a statement that I, I loved, and I don't want to wreck it, but you, it was something like, "Do I like this, or are, are we poor?" Like, what what were you saying? Like, is it if we have money, we're out there doing stuff. We're we're buying an outfit. We're going to buy expensive food in in Manhattan. We're going to buy expensive drinks on a rooftop in Manhattan, and that's doing something. And it's only if you're at home watching Netflix, you know, is it perhaps because you can't afford to do these other things? I feel that way and then there yeah because it's sometimes I'm like well you know it's easier for me to pay for a 9.99 or I don't even that was at the time when I had it or first <laughs> got it I, right? yeah. yeah I may have jumped up quite a bit but even then you're like for unlimited amount of like programming pretty much it's not a bad deal but there are times where I just go to Netflix and I'm flipping through and I'll try a lot of tv shows on that pro like that streaming service and I have to say, I think a lot of it's not great. And then, but I'm, I'm still watching it. And I feel like it's because um, this is still cheaper than doing other things. Yeah. All right. So yeah, do I like this shitty show or is it because, you know, it's entertaining relative to looking at my wall because I don't have money to do X, Y, and Z. Exactly. Yeah. They, cause they, I think they put a lot of programming that I'm like, I, I don't think this is even worth to be on a streaming service. So they're like, this is only for poor people who can't do any better. <laughs> and that, that brings us up to the debt thing. Like I have huge debt because, of, you know, I went to law school. So I have law school loans and things like that. And you had medical debt that you talked about. At any point, were you hesitant to talk about this stuff so publicly? Like now you have an album and, you know, you're you're going on all these big shows and you're promoting it and things like that. Like, were you worried? I mean, had you settled the debt thing prior to this or... Were you, was there anything in you that was slightly hesitant to go so public with this because you were ducking creditors before that point? That one, I, well, first of all, I feel like I was always, I'm always kind of in a state of debt and somehow because of just stand up. Uh, mm. I, I know I, I always feel like it should be like you fake it till you make it, but I'm, I, so I can't do that for some reason. It's not in my DNA and I, I know it's probably a lot of comics or people are like, oh, I would think that you are have, coming in with money because I've seen you do some TV. And you're like, to be honest, comedy doesn't really pay that well. And I'm one of the ones where I feel like I'm doing okay in my profession. Like I have a lot of great credits, but all, all the money that you make, uh, there's so many expenses that go into this and yeah. it's not it's not a consistent job, especially when you're trying to first start out. It only works out for like 1%. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't have insurance. And then I got colitis out of nowhere. And it, I couldn't believe I had to go to the hospital because there was no way of dealing with it at home. It was so excruciating and so insanely scary that at that it just blew my mind that to be in the hospital for three days was twenty thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't Where, even think you you specify the dollar amount, and that's fucking amazing. Twenty thousand for three days. Not not the, not not you know not normally where you would have put that money. No, and it wasn't. You know, all they really did was just kind of pump me with Cipro, <sighs> and then kill whatever bacteria was destroying me at that time. Wow. Um. And so it wasn't even like, you know, my friend was like, you should have just gone to the Four Seasons and had <laughs> a really great, you know, a better experience. And you would have still paid, I don't know, probably $19,000 less. <laughs> and you probably could have had a concierge who would have delivered you Cipro. 
<laughs> you look it up <laughs> and look it up on the internet you find out it's Cipro. you're like dude hook me up i'm paying 300 bucks tonight for this fucking room and he's like yeah absolutely you deserve it oh absolutely <laughs> i and it just doesn't make any sense and it was so crazy that something like that could just like wipe you out like if i wasn't married or with joe at the time i think i would have had to move back home to like figure out a way to clear it faster yeah and then some people don't even have that safety net you know we're learning some of these people stuck in new york or because they don't have that safety net to go back home to so i can't i couldn't even imagine uh you know if somebody got colitis and and also didn't have any family at home or, or wasn't living with a joe and that brings me to my well well real quick i have to say that like you know fucking after the drinking like it, it might have had a manifestation that was similar to colitis i don't know like it sounds like i had colitis light or something like hannibal burris recently did the special that discusses the link between drinking like excessive drinking and just the worst digestive system known to man and now that i'm sober it's like it's it's like night and day and i fucking love it but if i couldn't have fixed it i couldn't like, i would have to go to the hospital like if it wasn't drinking i totally would have had to go to the hospital and i think one time i had just a heart thing like i have a heart a floppy heart valve and it was hurting and so i went in there and there you know i was there for an hour and I ended up getting five different medical bills and all they did was give me a glass of water. You know, it was a de dehydration, which exacerbated the other condition. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I didn't ultimately pay that, but it it's dwarfed by my student loan dates, do student loan debt. So fuck them. And so, yeah, mentioning, yeah. Yeah, mentioning Joe, it sounds like you came out with an album recently. He came out with a special recently. And, and because I've consumed both, um, I was able to almost get a, a slight, a slightly, uh, it feels like a fuller, picture of your marriage like you know he talks about having a wife who uh you know was kind of like i have to go to the bathroom you know and being a little anxious that it was number two instead of number one and then we hear you in your album talk about the fact that you have you have colitis and it was the most expensive diarrhea known to man like do you think that's um did you guys do that intentionally with re release schedules and do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for people to feel like they get to know your marriage in the same kind of way that we might feel we know Tom Segura and that Christina P person? Oh, yeah. Well, nothing's ever planned with us. It just ends up that way. I mean, we <laughs> even had uh, one time we had both of our late nights come out at the same day. Oh, that's cool. And that wasn't even planned. It's just the wow. way that things happen. Uh, I don't mind. There's a lot of stuff. Like, there's still a lot of stuff that we don't talk about. But we generally, we have a great marriage. It's just, you know, you also want to be respectful to your partner. And so most of the time, uh, I don't tell anything that... Uh, Joe hasn't talked about on stage or that he's publicly addressed on a podcast because I don't right. want to tell someone's truth, I guess. Right. So those are boundaries that I think we respect of each other. But we did a roast battle and everybody was like, how is that? And we were like, it didn't cause any issues whatsoever. <laughs> it was the most fun that we had. And we both gave each other, we wrote it together and we gave each other <laughs> what we were comfortable with and that we thought that the audience would love to hear us rip each other apart with. Yeah. Fire that up. I saw it on there. And I think Nikki Glazer, was she one of the, was she a host or was she a judge or what was that? She was a judge. 
Oh, that's so cool. Well, I'm going to fire that up, but, but you know, I'm a voluptuous, a voluptuous boy, and I was so happy to see that there was content for me, voluptuous boy on Spotify, Sarah <laughs> Tolomash. I mean, everything on there was fucking hilarious, but the God thing, as a religious person, I got to say that I'm not offended at all, and I think that the God thing was such a fucking creative, fantastic idea, and some of your darker notions with, you know, what sending you to know, the whole free therapy, you know, replying to don't reply emails and that turning into the the knives and that turning into the suggested rope purchase. I mean, it was fucking just fantastic. I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Well, I try not to offend. I try to come at an angle that everybody can enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even if you're not a voluptuous boy, I fired up Sarah Tolomash. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me.